This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, this is Megan Rapino, and I'm Sue Bird. We've decided to turn our crazy IG live show into a podcast for your listening pleasure. Enjoy the show. A Touch More. New episodes of A Touch More drop Tuesday only on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Before we get to the OBR Film Breakdown podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network, we're going to talk to you about a couple of our sponsors. The first being BetOnline.ag, with no short of action going on. And our exclusive partner, BetOnline.ag, NASCAR's back, and BetOnline has hundreds of other games, events, and sports you can get involved in right now. You can bet on simulated NFL, NBA, and even now UFC events that run 24-7. Or you can participate in the $10,000 Madden Bracket Challenge, a March Madness-style NFL simulation tournament you can enter for free. Coming up next Sunday, the Bet Online group has ex-Chicago Bulls Ron Harper, Horace Grant, Bill Cartwright, and Craig Hodges joining them to discuss the Michael Jordan documentary on what they're calling the Final Dance uh, podcast section. We've seen some previews up on the Blue Wire uh, Twitter account. Make sure you're checking those out. It's going to be a really interesting set of interviews that go on there. Make sure you're checking that out. Brought to you by BetOnline.ag. So visit BetOnline.ag and use the promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your welcome bonus and check out all the action. BetOnline, your online wagering solutions. Also, I want to talk to you about Blue Chew. For those who are looking to go a couple extra rounds in the bedroom, get to BlueChew.com. BlueChew.com has the first ever chewable that brings performance in your bedroom to another level. They've got the, some, the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. They're chewable, so they work faster, and that's important. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. Plus, you don't need to go to the doctor's office or spend any time waiting in the pharmacy line. Blue Chew's online physician is free of cost, and once you're approved, your order ships straight to your door in the discreet packaging that keeps everything a secret. So here's a great deal for you guys. Go to bluechew.com. Get your first order free when you use the promo code BLUEWIRE, one word, B-L-U-E-W-I-R-E. Just pay $5 shipping for that first order. Again, that's bluechew.com, promo code BLUEWIRE. Okay, now let's get rolling with the podcast. Baker Mayfield, undraftable, off my board. The Cleveland Browns select Baker Mayfield. Welcome in, everybody, to the OBR Film Breakdown. We have an exciting guest, an exciting show with some good topics that I think are going to um, you know, be of particular interest about how the Browns are building this new structure with their coaching staff, with their front office, how it all ties together. I brought in Brent Sobolewski from 
Uh, Bleacher Report, who also works with us here at the OBR, an expanded role, uh, is doing great stuff, obviously, at the Bleacher Report forever, and has done really well in the Ask the Insider threads for us for a long time, and is really going to take an expanded role with the OBR. He wrote recently um, his 25 most impactful moves in the offseason, and I wanted to get his opinion on what the Browns' three biggest moves were in the offseason, in his opinion. And uh, a lot of this will deal, we got into some of the financial side of things and how scheme fits work for this whole uh, dynamic for these three players and why they make the most sense for the most impactful, um, you know, signings of, of this offseason. So, uh, you know, his opinions are not necessarily what my opinions are, but I do find his opinions fascinating on the topic. And, um, I, you know, I, especially his third player. So I, I really think this interview will be, will be you know, interesting, insightful, and hopefully you guys enjoy it. So let's get over to our interview with Brent Sobolewski. Okay, so as I mentioned, guys, this week, Sobo released on Bleacher Report his top 25 moves in the offseason, and I really want to focus in on the Browns, specifically in, in his opinion on three moves that have made, or I think, I guess, we don't know yet, but he thinks will have the biggest impact on this season. So, Sobo, I'll let you tee up number one, and then we'll kind of talk through it and go through all three. So, go ahead. Well, good evening, as always, Jake. Glad to be on the show. It's always enjoyable talking a little ball with you. And when you, we look at what Cleveland has done this offseason, I want to take a quick overall viewpoint of the accomplishments that we've seen from the new regime. And something that you know I've discussed ad nauseum, not just within the last few months, but the last few years, is a true top-down approach and synergy created throughout the entire organization or lack thereof uh, up until recently. And I think what we're seeing, at least from at the early onset of the Stefanski, Andrew Barry uh, era, as it were, is they seem to be working very well together and they're willing to have input from both sides. And you see a front office that is catering to its coaching staff. And while this seems like a novel concept, it really shouldn't be. It just hasn't been in Cleveland for quite some time. And that, that's a positive step in the right direction. Again, very early in the process. We don't know how all this is going to work out, but there are positive signs we're seeing through free agency and into the draft. And so starting with free, ag free agency unto itself. And this is going to be an inter interesting conversation for me. And you can grill me a little bit and take me to task on this, Jake, that my vision for what I expect from a wide zone or zone stretch, depending on which, on which nomenclature you want to use uh, for this offensive system that Kevin Stefanski utilizes, dates back to Alex Gibbs, the Denver Broncos sitting in Akron's video room when I was just a student coach working with the program, breaking down Iowa from the early 2000s with Eric Steinbach and Robert Gallery and the, that type of offense and those offensive linemen that fit that scheme at that time. And so I will gladly say I have to eat a little crow in this situation because I graded the Jack Conklin deal as my 10th best free agent acquisition of the offseason, or just move in general. And that included the draft, that includes free agency, that includes trades. And so the thing I question, and it's not just with Conklin, it's also with Jedrick Wills, and you know this, that I didn't project them to the system to the same degree I, I did others that were available at the time. Now, Conklin was due in part for two, two reasons. First being – 
you, it's, it's hard not to think of the player he was early in his career. Right? First team all pro, but anyone who watched him as a rookie saw that they provided him with a lot of help. Tennessee was a heavy man gap scheme early in that process. And so you get that vision in your head to a degree. And sometimes you don't let the film speak for itself, which in Conklin's case, he excelled last year in that wide zone scheme for the Tennessee Titans and really flourished for the first time and played at a level we hadn't seen before. And as such, when you hear Bill Callahan state that he's an ideal system fit, you got to listen to the man that's one of the very best that's ever done it at the position. With that said, I was also hedging based on what we expected the market to be. I mean, look, if you look at what happened the last two off seasons, Jake, when you have Nate Solder and then you have Trent Brown resetting the offensive line market, you expected similar numbers for Jack Conklin. It just simply made sense based on the way the continued rise in value of the tackle position. When Solder and Brown had never been Pro Bowl offensive tackles prior to signing those deals, are getting uh, in upwards of 16 to 17 million annually, you started to question is Conklin worth that level of money? And so you have to you have to look at it from that frame of mind and see where his market value stood. And that valuation became a very important part in the way I graded not only him, but eventually Austin Hooper, who we'll discuss in here in a moment. So with Conklin, what really surprised me isn't necessarily that he's a better scheme fit than I initially projected or that he fit a gigantic need for the Cleveland Browns, but he also came at a excellent value that was negotiated by Andrew Berry of $14 million annually. And that's, and that's, to a degree, funny money. And by that, I mean, when you look at NFL accounting, Jack Conklin will make $20 million in cash spent this year. That's actual money. And that's important to the individual. It's important to the team, specifically the owner and the agent. But when it comes to the way it's, it's manipulated through the salary cap, do you realize that Jack Conklin is not a top 50 paid offensive lineman in 2020, Jake? Yeah, I've seen some figures that have told us that they, they structured it to start out pretty well, right? And I mean, I know that's what you're building toward is how well they're going to kind of fit that money and based on what we thought they might have to pay for him. But yeah, that is something that folks, I, I would imagine much of the general public does not know. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's, to me, that's very important in this conversation. And when you look at the way the deal unto itself is built within the long-term parameters of Cleveland salary cap ramifications. And so by that, I mean, not only are they number one in the team right now in available set or in the league in available salary cap space at around 38 to 39 million, but what they don't utilize now, it turns into what's called rollover salary cap. And that's, and thus they can push it to 2021, 2022 and extend what the actual salary, the hard salary cap is. And so, as that continues to roll over, now that number escalates but becomes really in line with the way that the salary cap as a whole has continued to progress over the last decade. It has literally increased every year for over a decade now. Now, that may not be the case after what we see with the coronavirus this year and how things business-wise go for the NFL this fall. But based on what we were normal operating procedure – when you go and get a who clearly was the top offensive tackle on the market 
at 25 years old, so in his prime, and you are getting cap hits in the first two years of $8 million, $13 million, and then it doesn't escalate to year three to $15 million. Now, keep those numbers in mind that I just stated because the highest paid NFL offensive lineman on a yearly basis coming into this offseason was $18 million. Conklin won't be a top 10 paid offensive lineman until 2022. And that's really the place him in context of not only the caliber of player he is, but also the valuation that the Cleveland Browns were able to land with him this offseason. And to me, that was spectacular. And it allows them to not only be much stronger at a significant area of weakness last season, but doing so by making smart investments. And that also is something we're going to tie into here with Austin Hooper. Yeah, I, I don't I don't particularly think they could have done any better. I, I think going into that situation, the start of free agency, I certainly think that many folks didn't seem to take Cleveland and Conklin very seriously, thinking about a lot of the financial ramifications down the line if they did pay him that hefty contract, and many of us thinking that they would not overpay for that sort of thing based on what we thought the front office would do. Um, but, it, you know, they've handled it in an interesting manner, and I think that they did a great job getting out in front of that deal and keeping it low on the front end and allowing the cap, like you said, to, to push itself further. And they got a good player who, who, you know, really fits the scheme, probably fits the scheme more than we even – you know, possibly gathered, I think, as a lot of us looked at it, I, I think there was good data out there, Brent. I think that there was, you know, people talking, especially the folks at Pro Football Focus were talking about how effective he was in the wide zone. But, um, you know, I just think the general public didn't probably value him for Cleveland as much as we expected. And, um, you know, they spin on him and they, they, they made a nice move and solidified right tackle and then go out and get Jed as well. So uh, I'm, I'm fascinated by your take on Hooper. I think things are all over the board on him as far as opinions go for many people. So, um, yeah, tell me what you liked about that move. Well, I have Hooper as number 15 on my top 25 offseason moves. So two of the top 15 were made by the Cleveland Browns. And if you compare that to at least the way I project the rest of the AFC North, the only team that I had in that same class, at least within those top 10 and top 15, was the Cincinnati Bengals because I'm giving them credit for doing what they should have did with Joe Burrow, number one overall. So if you go and get that caliber of franchise prospect, you deserve kudos, and they do. So in that instance, Cleveland continues to make outstanding. And also I should mention that the Baltimore Ravens getting Calais Campbell is another one within that mm -hmm. within said range. Just I know Campbell is at – 33 years old this season, but he is so good at the point of attack. He is so good consistently collapsing and being a disruptive presence, not only in the run game, but as a pass rusher that that Baltimore defensive front is going to be much improved after actually being the weak spot of that team a year ago. But to Hooper unto himself, it's very similar to Conklin argument. Now you're investing in a tight end instead of a tackle. So there's a little different when it comes to positional value, but that overall valuation again, plays a very large factor into this consideration. When you discuss what Hooper has done the last two years, what 75 catches, at least the last two seasons, two Pro Bowl births. And you mentioned the advanced statistics. I know he's not your traditional mismatch. And a lot of times when you get those Stanford tight ends, they really aren't. They're products of the system for based on their utilization of the position in more of a traditional offensive scheme. 
but they also come in very well prepared for the NFL, an understanding of what's asked of them, being able to find those soft spots and zones, read how defenses are, are, are defending them, and can be effective. And so Hooper is more along those lines. He's not necessarily the guy, for example, like an Eric Ebron, who the Pittsburgh Steelers signed. Eric Ebron is a very physically talented prospect, or was, and was two years ago led the NFL with 13 touchdown reception among tight ends. And he is someone that you know in the passing game can give you an edge. Hooper is very different in his style, approach, and natural skill set. With that said, again, one, you addressed a glaring need because of the, the proliferation of the tight end position in Kevin Stefanski's offense. 50%, 57% of the time last season, the Minnesota Vikings had two or more tight ends on the field. Second, you again go out and get the number one player at that respective position, as you did with Jack Conklin. Third, look at the contract. And this is where, it, the, where the Browns, once again, did very well. His cap hit in 2020 is $4 million. Four. <laughs> Not 14, four. So when you keep hearing that number, that, uh, that Austin Hooper is the NFL's highest paid tight end, one, one, that's incorrect because Hunter Henry is technically the number one paid tight end in the NFL once he signs his franchise tag. Two, Hunter, or excuse me, Austin Hooper does not eclipse $10 million for a salary cap hit until 2020. Uh, excuse me, 2022. And in 2022, he will finally be the highest paid and a, or tight end in the NFL. And that's based on if nothing happens between now and then. And we're almost guaranteed to have George Kittle reset the market and so on and so forth. So considering that they backloaded that again, and then once he is paid to the level that's commensurate of an of elite tight end, the market's going to be different. And so when you continually look at the way that they approached the, as, as an organization, the market and the positional value of each of these players, I think it was spectacular, the negotiations they, they orchestrated and how they reflect not only, not only those individuals, but team building unto itself. And that's, and that's why those moves to me were both worthy of top 15 moves overall for the entire NFL offseason. I think Hooper especially providing, you know, they need – I think a misconception, which I'm trying to write on this here at some point this week, is the misconception about how they use these tight ends. They're not always going to be like inline tight ends, and they're not always going to be in the slot. They're not going to have designations. They want guys that can do all of those things, right. and Hooper has the ability to do all of those things, and you know you're getting a consistent level of play that is proven from him. You know, I think David Njoku, we would all agree, has an immense amount of potential, still a young guy. Um, and, and was trending in the right direction in 2018, but then 2019 comes along and the injury happens, and you just never know. You never know what's going to happen, so you really wanted some proven um, sort of commodity at that position, and they went out and got a guy who I think Baker Mayfield will really like and trust already working with him in the offseason. So I couldn't agree more that I think those are your top two acquisitions, and I'm not really sure it's debatable at that point, but I am curious what your third is. My third – you know, I knew you were going to ask me this. You, you, you're, you're a fine – producer when it comes to a podcast and host and actually setting up your guests for success because <laughs> I, I don't know if a lot of people out there realize this or not uh, and I told Jake this to, 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 uh, when we first started doing this is 
99.9% of shows that I've done throughout the year. Has, he is the first that's ever given me a question beforehand to prepare. So when you hear anyone from the OBR doing other shows, other radio spots, just realize we don't know what's coming. <laughs> we have no. no clue. And that, that's the actual fact of the matter. But when it comes to this, this particular discussion, I was, I was torn. And the reason why is, was I going to look at potential? Was I looking at impact or was I looking at effectiveness? And, th and that's really big differ differences between multiple different players they sign. So, for example, I love Andrew Billings and Carl Joseph. Love them coming out of college. Uh, in, in fact, Andrew Billings is probably one of my biggest whips in recent history with regarding my my evaluation from a draft perspective. I, I thought that he was going to be just this powerhouse that had the capability of turning into a true three-down defensive tackle, and those guys are worth their weight in gold because they're so rare. It didn't end up being that case, but that said, he's actually improved each and every year at Cincinnati and come and bring – a different type of player at the point of attack than Cleveland previously had on the roster. So I love his potential. I love Carl Joseph's potential, but Carl Joseph, that injury history is so worrisome that he's, he's hasn't finished a full season of football. And since basically what his sophomore year at West Virginia, and someone can correct me on that, but it's been a long time. And yes, he flies around the field like a, like a missile. And yes, he can do pretty much everything you want in a modern day safety, but if he's not on the field, it really doesn't matter. And so when I looked at those two, I thought to myself, they can have huge impacts, but who's going to be the most reliable. Who's someone that kind of changes what Cleveland wants to do. And I think, some may be surprised when, I, when I'd argue the third most impactful or effective acquisition by the Cleveland Browns this offseason may be Andy Janovich, the fullback from the Denver Broncos that they acquired via the trade. Look, Andy, Andy Janovich early in his career looked like he could be a critical component to Denver's offense. And I know fullbacks are on the way of the dinosaur for the most part, but don't look at it necessarily as – just a downhill lead blocker. And when you're running an ISO and you want them to create snot bubbles on a linebacker <laughs> on a third and short, you have to start looking at the fullback position more like a Kyle Juszczyk from San Francisco or even the way they utilize CJ Ham uh, to a lesser extent with the Minnesota Vikings. Janovich will be on the field. Now, it may only be 20, 30% of the snaps. But considering that they didn't have a quality fullback or a player that uh, with that type of skill set previously, and considering his age on top of it being in his mid-20s, he can step in immediately and give a slightly different dynamic to the entire offense. So you can have two tights on the field. You can have a traditional fullback and tailback on the field. You know, you have different personnel groupings that you can now utilize because you have Janovich, because you have Hooper, because you have Njoku, because you have Harrison Bryant. And that's really what's exciting about this offense. And I was reading about it recently. Uh, <clears throat> I forget who, who stated it. It was a player going back here. But what they loved about this wide zone scheme is everything looks the same because they're basically, from a blocking perspective, it's very similar overall. It makes it difficult on defenses. But the more you can do with your skill positions makes that even more difficult. And as such, if you can bring in a player like Janovich, who – who can not only just be a lead blocker, can run the ball a little bit and catch the ball in the backfield. Again, not to use checks level, but just that you can 
have that buried skill set to a degree adds more to the offense and makes it more effective overall. So that's why, even though I don't have him as a top 25 uh, offseason move, because again, it's a fullback, I think he can be very effective in Cleveland and what they want to do. Yeah, and I think the thing that people are, are not understanding is it is not, um, you know, a 1990s, early 2000s fullback who's just running ISO, ISO, ISO. It is a variety of things they ask a fullback to do, right? They ask him to loop around and make sure you're making big plays um, at the first level, handling defensive ends sometimes and, and creative split zone schemes or counter schemes or handling, you know, pursuing downhill safeties, uh, setting the edge in the box, uh, you know, for a wide zone or they're even asking you to get out of the slot. If you watch Juice Checker, I, I, I think they'll be creative with Janovich too because he's got the ability. They'll put him in – they'll line him up in the slot or out wide sometimes and use creative ways to get mismatches involved um, that hold down certain players so that slot receivers can take off or uh, a variety of different things or be a lead guy on a reverse. Listen, they're going to use him in ways that we have not seen Cleveland use a fullback since 2014. I think that that's uh, – and they're, they're – they're, you know, you're looking at a guy who's much more talented than the fullback that they had here in 2014, and I think you'll you'll see him utilized in a – there's not the, – Janovich isn't Kyle Juszczyk by any check, check of the amount. Wow, let me start that again. That was bad. Um <laughs> You know, Janovich it's isn't easier to say than spell, Jake. <laughs> it, it, it really is. There's a lot of Z's in there. Um, <laughs> there's so yeah, like like Janovich isn't the same player as Juszczyk. I'm not trying to say that it's just a plug and play fullback. Like that's not what I'm trying to get at. But um, he has the ability to handle some of those duties and, and maybe be like a like a poor man's version. And I think Cleveland viewed it that way, and that's why they invested draft capital in going out and getting him. And uh, I expect big things from him the same way you do. And I think that they will get. Uh, quality lead blocking and then they'll, they'll get a couple deceptive receptions in there as well and maybe a little uh, creative trap or something like that that pops off for a big play won't be big you know production numbers but it will ultimately be uh, a key cog in getting the, the run game production where they hope it can be in uh, in 2021 and, and beyond I think they'll, they'll try to keep him around for a while so uh, those are those are three right those are three names the first two were names that you probably expected guys I expected because like I said I don't think those are particularly arguable but so did a nice job of laying out Janovich and why he is a key cog in this whole thing that probably doesn't get discussed enough. And I, and I thoroughly agree with his take there. So um, closing statements, my friend, anything you want to add about any other additions? Well, just to build on that slightly, just you have to expand your mind on the way some of these guys will be utilized. So for example, we're mentioning you If you look at what the 49ers did, and this is in relation to the rest of your roster, you look at San Francisco, they would bring Juszczyk into motion, set him up on the wing, and he would actually become the end man at the line of scrimmage when you're trying to set the wide zone. So he's the one getting the hook block. It might not have been Mike McGlinchey. It might not have been Joe Staley. It's your fullback slash tight end slash H-back. And then when you consider that in Cleveland and usually utilizing a Janovich in a similar way, think about where they are. You have two new brand new offensive tackles. One of them is going to be a rookie who's not only a rookie, but he's going to be making the, making the transition from a career right tackle to a left tackle. If you can give him a little help and make you and still remain as effective, more power to you in the way that you can design your offense and, and create things schematically to make life easier on all parties. And so that's not just applicable to the offense and what Stefanski will do. I know that's been the emphasis of our discussion, but you start looking at the way this entirety of this defense is going to be run, how they brought in a Kevin Johnson, and this is something me and Jake kind of discussed the last time I was on the show, is 
how they're going to uh, defer to certain players depending on setup scheme and and what what looks they're getting from offense where Johnson can bounce from nickel to outside corner and Denzel Ward can work you know off the X and move down and into the, over the slot you know it, it just there's a lot of different things you can do in that and that positionless versatility that is so valuable in today's NFL really helps you, even with a slightly expanded roster, we're going to get under the new CBA, but an understanding that some of these players are brought in to do more than just what you typically expect in a position. B.J. Goodson's another example. B.J. Goodson is your expected starter at Mike Linebacker. Well, he played a lot of will last year for the Green Bay Packers. So if you have an instance where maybe Mac Wilson gets more comfortable at Mike, which is his natural position, maybe Goodson bumps over to the will, and you have your veteran presence there. So these are all possibilities based on the type of talent Cleveland brought in. And there was a clear message being sent that they were signing guys off their first contract that were in their prime, that – well, then they go into the draft and they're looking at younger players with certain types of physical skill sets that really fit what they want to do. And to me, that shows a cohesive vision. And the fact that I can say that for the first time in, oh, God, ever, really gets me excited about the, the possibilities as what, uh, for this season depending on how it eventually runs. And that's a huge bugaboo that every team's going to have to deal with, but even more so in Cleveland when you have the transition from from a coaching staff perspective, front office perspective, and then on top of it, new systems as well. But if this was a typical offseason, I'd be downright giddy right now. I'm with you. And I think it'll be interesting to see how it all shakes out with, with how much time these guys are getting to watch film instead of apply it on the field. And ultimately how that, uh, you know, impact some of these these new coaching staffs. Maybe those teams didn't feel like they got the requisite amount of time with guys focused on the film. Maybe this is something that actually helps them. I, I've, I've said this many times on both the Newswire and Film Breakdown podcast here at the OBR, that this is one of the things that I am most interested in is what kind of competitive advantages teams come out of this whole weird process with, things that they learn, things that they can apply that don't necessarily strain guys physically, but strain them mentally to try to put them in the best position to understand and stay on the same page, learn a new offense, learn a new defense, learn their role. I'm fascinated by it, and I've tried to really pay particular attention to quotes and some of those things that will continue to trickle out as we get past the season when teams probably will be more in tune to open up about how weird this process of this offseason was and what they learned from it and how they can apply it moving forward. So I will, uh, I'll be interested in that and we'll keep track of it here at the OBR as we do because, you know, you want to see your team. And I think the Browns have a front office and coaching staff that will really try to be on the cutting edge of this stuff. Uh, as far as we can tell from, from, you know, the building the Browns episodes, I think they have done a really nice job with it. And I think, you know, way back at the beginning of this interview, Sobo mentioned the idea of the cohesion and uh, like-minded thinking that is going on with this group and how good it is to see. And I think that that stuff is carrying into, uh, you know, into this program that we've seen little bits and pieces of, and hopefully we'll hear more about uh, as time goes on and we get closer to the season. So um, those are the three big moves and make sure you're reading Sobo's piece at the Bleacher Report about all the moves across the league. I will link that in the, the bio of this podcast. You can find that on whatever source you use. The link will be in there. So just go to that and read it. It's over at Bleacher Report. And um, at some point, maybe in the near future, maybe not in the near future, 
I think Sobo's going to get Jacob Phillips involved in a little interview. We'll see how that goes. We, we want to hear from the new linebacker. We'll look forward to that. So, Sobo, thanks for joining us, man. We appreciate the insight and taking some time. Well, you know what, Jake? I wish we could have got into the implementation of advanced quantitative methods of per game strategy and personal evaluation. But wait, that's new. That's for the Browns' new assistant general manager because that's way over my head, sir. So. That, that was Spanish, <laughs> man. But that's what I thought of when you mentioned that and the way this team's operating. It's, it's really cool to see how a legitimate NFL front office operates. And I know that will, that will create a lot of flack for some of our listeners, but you have to understand the way this team has operated for so long that it's a breath of fresh air to actually see things that is commensurate with how other well-run organizations are are doing throughout the league and so I know I'm joking a little bit with their latest hire and don't ask me to pronounce the name yet I'm still learning but in this case it's just it's when you see the way Cleveland's building building it's just a different feel and maybe I'm being pie in the sky a little bit considering the circumstances but I truly believe the team's on the right track and that there that these moves that we've discussed at length really reflect that and I hope fans despite all these circumstances and all the negativity we hear constantly, and believe me, it's, it is constant that they're seeing hopefully something that gets them excited about their favorite team and hopefully a regular NFL football season. I'm with you. I think they have the right group in, in line. I think from, from top to bottom, a group that can work together. There should not be, listen, we've probably said this too many times, but in terms of people from the same background, the same thought process, the same egoless driven concept, I think this is the right group. Uh, does that lead to wins? I don't know. You know, nobody really knows. But I do think for the first time in perhaps his entire tenure of, of running this organization, Jimmy Haslam has a unified approach top to bottom. And again, that does not equal modern day wins in the NFL, but it is nice to see that stuff come together. So we're excited about that. Uh, and hopefully, it, you know, hopefully it does, as I look at the schedule here, translate to some wins and maybe some exciting times ahead. So again, thanks, Brent. Thanks for having me. We'll talk to you next week, man. Thanks again for joining us, guys, at the OBR Film Breakdown. We are going to have many more, um, you know, weeks ahead where we don't necessarily have the newest, freshest content, but we are going to revisit, rehash, touch on um, players that are coming up, what they might look like in the offense and defense, Going to do our best to provide some insight as the NFL season approaches without necessarily getting any new fresh content from either training camp, um, really it would be OTAs or minicamp, any of those things. We're going to continue to try to pump out some content that makes you think about this upcoming season. We'll look at things from a fantasy perspective. We'll look at things from dynasty-type fantasy perspectives, and we'll look at more film content. We'll talk about some things next week. We'll probably talk about this upcoming article I have coming out tomorrow on the misconceptions of Kevin Stefanski's offense, some things I keep reading that are incorrect. And uh, hopefully we can continue to talk about how that offense will play together, what it'll look like in year one and all of that stuff. So we appreciate, again, you guys subscribing to this podcast, subscribing to the YouTube channel where we have a Donovan Peoples-Jones film room going up today. And, um, you know, I, I hope that, that this stuff is insightful for you. I always appreciate your feedback on the Twitter feed, letting me know about guests or anything like that you guys like to hear. You are always very gracious with your reviews. On, uh, on iTunes and all of the above. So we thank you. I thanks again to, to our two sponsors, Blue Chew and BetOnline.ag, and also to Brent Sobleski for taking some time to join us. So until we talk on the OBR Film Breakdown, we'll catch you next time. We'll be back on Friday with an OBR Newswire podcast, so come over to that channel and check that one out as well. All right, guys, thanks again, and go Browns. 
Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.